the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yours truly, Greg Mackling. And I'm going to start with three words, Derek Taylor. Embarrassment of riches. And I'm talking about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and their ability to backfill injured players with players who might be just as good as the guy who's gotten injured. I'm talking about Greg McRae in particular. Crazy. Crazy how good he was in, in that game. And Janarian Grant gets injured on a play that uh, we're going to be talking about for a while. It'll certainly be part of the pregame show in Ottawa. Uh, oh, a little inside run, essentially, with Janarian Grant. Eee. Uh, and then, okay, well, you know, we feel like we have the best returner in the league. Let's put Greg back there and see what he can do. And Greg takes the Rene Paredes missed field goal, does a little exploring, and then all of a sudden busts up the field for 100 yards. You go, wow. All right, well, that too. Plus the 68-yard touchdown off just a – we need to talk about the beautiful sequence of plays that was for Buck Pierce. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, – it's, it's, it's great to have superstars, and it's also great to have depth. When when those stars get injured, well, I feel as though that this could be a little bit of a replay of last week's episode, just because uh, you know we did talk about McRae a little bit and his first half performance against Montreal. Even though Brady Oliveira was the offensive player of the game, McRae was giving us hints of brilliance once again in Montreal, and then just jumped off the page against Calgary on Friday night. And then on the other side of the ball, the Blue Bomber defense now all of a sudden have only given up 14 points in their past two games and one of the common denominators in both those defensive performances is number 94 Jackson Jeffcoat mm, man yeah I just finished up uh, charting that game and man Jackson was good again like it, it's uh, all I mean coaches and players will say well stats don't tell the story well the, the ones we get immediately post game certainly do not tell the story because I think they listed Jackson with just one pass knockdown. But when you watch it, and as I watched it back, I'm like, oh, there's another repeat. There's another pressure off the edge from Jeff Coat against the re- the left tackle. Oh, there's a pressure from Jackson off the right tackle. Uh, I mean, he's just making these impact plays. And and once again, Jackson's there, and Willie has an amazing game, right? Oh, okay, well, that's, that's two and a half games of evidence from this year, in addition to all the previous evidence that uh, that may well be connected because uh, it was man it was it was a fantastic performance from that defensive line just watching them get after Paredes who he was holding the ball uh, holding the ball for a little longer than we would have seen maybe last season and he had to pay for it at some spots they are just they are so blessed with uh, with these star with these stars on the edge and and their ability to keep them coming back for for less than market rate it's it's kind of one of the one of the big points of what makes the Bombers the Bombers. Derek, I knew you meant Jake Mayer scrambling around and the Bombers getting after uh, Mayer and uh, his less than stellar performance after they got out yeah. of the first quarter. Uh, Rennie Paradis, uh, maybe the most consistent performer, the kicker on the Stampeders. <laughs> I have such esteem for Paredes as a kicker that I made him the quarterback. But yeah, Jake Jake Mayer trying to was spent the last year trying to get the ball super fast. They tried to move it down the field this game and... Uh, yeah, too bad. So sad because uh, what, what, once again, there are a lot of interesting little uh, wrinkles in that uh, 
in those blitzes, oh, here's eight, ah, only four are going to come. Here's seven, okay, all seven are coming, you better get rid of this. Oh, two are free off the edge, you're you're dead. It's it's a lot of fun watching this defense work. Yeah, it feels as though it's, uh, you know, the good old days of uh, late 2019 and 2021 when you start talking about holding teams scoreless in the in the last three quarters of a game like the Bombers did on Friday and, and holding teams like they did in Montreal the week previous to three points. This is the dominating, the vaunted Blue Bomber defense, which, you know, really won them two championships. For as good as the Blue Bomber offense is, that defense and the whole adage that defense wins championships, I don't think you're hoisting gray cups without dominant defenses, even to this day. You may disagree. Uh, I mean, it can certainly it certainly helps, and it certainly turned the tide in that game, right? Like, that game opens with a 33-yard Diedrich Mills carry, and then he rolled up, to the, he rolled up yards in that first quarter to the point where I turned to Doug, and I'm like, this guy's going to have 100 yards before halftime. Like, it seems preordained. And then after about the 11-minute mark of the second quarter, it was just over. It was over for the Calgary offense. From the 11-minute mark on, I think it was 43 yards in that second quarter, and then there was just nothing. Uh, Then after that, I think it was four running back carries for 13 yards in the second half. Like, the the defense saw saw this. Okay, well, hey, you were out of this gap, and you were out of that gap, and boop, 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 and then it was just over for them there was there was nothing they could do they could throw you know out to trey odom's dukes and uh mayor airmailed one over top of mark and michelle which ended up in the demario houston interception and but other than that there was just there was nothing for them to have at all congratulations cody grace you can punt again uh it was it was truly impressive they've had some problems in coverage this season in kind of the first four games but in this one, I'm trying to think, GMAC, if if I remember any Calgary receivers running open, uh, and I don't, which would be probably the first game where I don't really remember, you know, Calgary receivers 20-plus yards downfield running open. It, it had happened in the previous four, as best I can think. Yeah, certainly not beyond the secondary. Maybe an intermediate pass that Mayer uh, might have thrown in the fourth quarter I want to say no that's probably the third quarter when they were trying to move the ball uh, somewhat and and had a little bit of success on that front but no uh, the the Blue Bomber defense doing a great job of of limiting those explosion plays even though they had seen a few earlier this season it just feels like the tide is turned with regard to that Blue Bomber defense now on offense I mean if not for let's be honest about how things started on Friday night if not for that touchdown by Greg McRae with 138 left in that first half. You're talking about an 11-4 ball game at the half and the Blue Bombers being down at home two consecutive games. Yeah, which would have been awkward. That that one, it, I kind of felt going to halftime that the game had turned. I thought the, the Bombers would be would take it away in the, in the second half. So, But uh, I wonder how much of that I attribute just to the fact that Oh, they did hit Greg McCray for 68 yards, and now it is tied, right? Uh, 11-3 or 11-4 and 11-11 are, are pretty dramatically different with what had happened in, in the previous home game where they got walloped by BC 30-6, to right? This was, hey, they're in the end zone. Yes, yes, we love it. And it, and it was McCray. And, man, uh, Buck Pierce, I, I was going back and I watched that sequence again. So, like, what, what happened on that on that play? The play before... 
they run a screen, a wide receiver screen to that far side of the field, and all the defense presses up. And, and, you know, I forget if it was to Bailey or who it was, but then, you know, scramble forward for a few yards. Then, then the very next play, the very next play, Puck, Puck Pierce says, you know what, we're going to fake a screen, and then, Greg, you just keep running. And, you know, uh, Kolaris drops back, and he, and he makes kind of a half-hearted, uh, you know, fake of the screen, but it's enough to get the safety Brandon Dozier. And Brandon Dozier brings a load, and that guy is fast, and, and he likes to attack. Brandon Dozier takes one step toward the screen pass, and McCray just blasts right by him. Dozier then realizes, oh, no, there's a guy running free. Zach hits McCray perfectly in stride. Why, well, I love quarterbacks who are accurate because McCray just gets, gets to keep on running into the end zone. I, I watched that and thought, oh, man, there's another Buck Pierce of just mwah, chef's kiss for Buck Pierce setting that up with, with the, the screen to play before and then fake it and take advantage of a, of a defense that's really trying to get you fast and then just, yeah, hit him behind and, and wave goodbye. Four-man rush, pump, Kolaris wants deep. He's got McCray wide open, 35. Greg McCray, can he beat Dozier to the end zone for the touchdown? Pumped it to the outside and hit him deep, and the Bombers are back within one. And just like that, lightning strikes... Greg McCray gets in a running race down the left sideline, wins it easily. Zach Kolaris, pump fake to the check down, and then boom, over the top to Greg McCray, hits him in stride. Oh. Out of nowhere, the offense finally gets into gear, catches fire for the major. I'm trying to remember what we called that play in the St. James Rod days. I want to say it was a... A fake wide receiver screen, a 70 pass with the 32 fly and the, and the halfback running down the field. I think McCray was out of the slot, though, on that play, right, Derek? He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it worked. It worked just as well, <laughs> and obviously, yeah. uh, Greg McRae uh, probably going to get tired of saying his name. Although uh, Blue Bomber fans may not get tired of hearing it. Yeah. Oh, for sure, and he may become very important, and it might be interesting to see what happens on uh, on Saturday in the game against Ottawa. Uh, last we last we heard, you know, McCray was, was uh, pardon me, Janarian Grant was was limping around the field. Christian Mel talked about how he got taped up from essentially, like, I'm exaggerating, but from his toe to his knee, just try to stabilize that uh, that ankle, that foot, whatever it is. But uh, uh, Grant's been on crutches, so that's not a great sign for your star returner. So if that's McCray who now is returning, you really can't be a full-time returner and a full-time receiver and running back. So there's going to have to be some accommodation for to cover for a potential Janarian Grant absence and, and injury. So if McCray becomes your returner, you, you're able to limit his snaps on offense, but who then comes on for Janarian Grant? Does Carlton Agadosi come back on the roster? Does uh, I, I suspect it would be Agadosi over, say, Jeremy Murphy, but uh, it would give Carlton the chance to come back on, and you would have, you know, it, it costs you Janarian Grant, but that's the price of, uh, of playing football these days. But you would have a chance to have both the high point deep threat in Carlton Agadosi and the multi purpose weapon in Greg McRae on the roster at the same time, which is something we're not sure uh, they could do. Or just putting this out there. Uh, Bob Irving had tweeted that uh, he thinks some something's going to happen with Kenny Lawler this week, so maybe that presents itself as an option for Saturday. Oh yeah, 
Oh, yeah. The guy who basically has the most receiving yardage in the CFL over the last uh, three seasons isn't in your lineup. Not too shabby, right? Right. Well, yeah, and four and one without their, really their only free agent acquisition. And he just kind of, I'm always, I'm always amazed um, at, at myself when we get texts into the coaches show. I ask, ask coach about Lawler. I'm like, right, Kenny Lawler plays for this team because it hasn't mattered yet. It, it just it hasn't mattered yet. The offense is able to, apart from the BC game, the offense is able to generate points without you know the guy who who is you know their one or their one A receiver. It's been it's been fantastic so far. Evan Holm, I think he's doing a tremendous yeah. job. You mentioned Demario Houston, and and Demario seems to find his way. The ball seems to find him, and and he's got several interceptions this year. But Evan Holm, what do you think of his play? Am I making things up? Am I seeing things? If I think he's uh, rock solid back there on uh, in the defensive backfield. Oh no, you're you're absolutely right. Holm is Holm's been fantastic. He is able to uh, he's able to cover guys like oh you beat me okay well I'm gonna make my turn really smooth and then I'm going to, I'm going to get you. And, and he's gotten, gotten a couple of times in, in this, in the season, but uh, he probably has, it's probably pretty close between his past knockdowns and the completions against him. And certainly intermediate and deep completions against him. It's, it's, I would think they're probably about, about even he's been incredible when you, when you see him, all you kind of see is the camera pans to him or your eyes pan to the, to the the pass and the receiver intended, and there's Evan right on top of him, and SWAT pat that away. Uh, his only criticism, I've ever talking to to Evan, he's like, "Yeah, I'd like to turn some of those into interceptions." Yeah, okay, sure, but we'll take what you're doing because it is fantastic. And receivers, big, small, doesn't matter. He's just he's all over him. He's he's got a jump with Trey Odom's Dukes. Okay, here you go. He's that guy's got me by a few inches. That's fine. Um, I feel like. I feel like I called out one during the game where Holmes was in coverage against Ryzen John, who's six foot seven. And yeah, he just, you no problem, you know, covering Justin McKinnis to a certain extent in the BC game. Uh, that's a guy who's gotten home by six, seven inches. He's, he's been really good um, for a guy who at the start of training camp was not going to be the starter, but from training camp to, uh, to today has kind of solidified himself with that halfback spot. Does that bring us back to where we started this segment? Embarrassment of riches, a concern going into training camp and into the season was that Blue Bomber secondary, and I think uh, most fears are being allayed at this point. Well, I am going to reserve judgment on that because Montreal okay, why? Back. Why now, DT? Why? Why are you? Why are you telling me to pump the brakes on this one? Because uh, I, I still, th- I think we're in a spot where. When we started the season, I thought, okay, they're, they're locked in three positions. Dietrich Nichols, Brandon Alexander, and Alden Darby. Uh, we've seen that Alden Darby almost got lost his starting job, so I would say we're now locked at two-and-a-half positions because it's been five games for home plus a couple last season. Two-and-a-half, two-and-three-quarters positions, let's say. Uh, and the rest are still kind of, well, okay, Demario Houston, but Demario had a rough first game, so... Uh, he and then what happens when Winston Rose is healthy and ready to play again? Does Winston get that job back? Will be a, a question. And if he does, that leads to a whole other question tree. I, I think I think they've gotten some good performances, but are they locked down at both cornerback spots and the dime defensive back spot? I would say no. They they may still be looking for something. 
but Montreal and and Calgary's offenses are not the ones that I consider the measuring stick, right? BC here Thursday, August third, measuring stick. Uh, they get a chance whenever they go, whenever Toronto comes to town. I, I don't have that date on top of my head. Measuring stick. The trip to BC, measuring stick. Uh, if uh, well, back to Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan air rated them for 400 yards. So what about Labor Day Banjo Bowl? That'll be uh, another one to measure them on. And even even to a lesser extent, the trip to Hamilton. Uh, I don't know who's going to be playing quarterback for them at that time. It will still be Schiltz, but uh, they've got some receivers that can do some damage. So I don't think Calgary and Montreal are the best measuring stick, but they they beat and dominated whoever whoever the schedulers put in front of them. So. We, we do have that for the last two weeks. All right. The bulletin board material coming from the home broadcast this week. We'll have to get this audio to Richie Hall and the transcript and pin it up in the Blue Bomber locker room, TT. <laughs> but then they'll never let me in again. Oh, I've, I've told the truth too much. It's Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. And our guest this morning is one of the key cogs in Winnipeg's vaunted defense. When he is in the lineup, he is a genuine difference maker. The Bombers defense, four-man rush, pressure from Jeff Coat again, tipped it in the air and incomplete. He's got extra words for Stevens, and it'll be a turnover on downs. Jackson Jeffcoat is back, everybody. Yeah, he's at the top of his game already. Same move he used last time, double hand swipe. That offensive tackle doesn't know what to do about it. Doug Brown and Derek Taylor calling the action from Friday night. And Jackson Jeffcoat joins us now for Breakfast with the Bombers. Jackson, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me on. We always enjoy speaking with you. This defense... Seems to be finding a groove, just 14 points against in the past two games. Will we embarrass you by suggesting that your presence has been the difference? (laughs) Well, I I came in at the right time, I guess. What has been the difference in your eyes other than than timing on on your part? Uh, Just locking back into the details, uh, following kind of what Richie has set up for us, making sure that we're discipline not missing assignments and just making the plays that are are there for us now janarian grant suffered an injury in friday's win over calgary we just want to play some uh, audio here Uh, this is coach michael shea on how the team manages those player injuries you check with the player and talk to them and see how they're feeling and you leave them in the hands of al couture who's the best trainer in the in the league bar none and um the player works very hard, and they get back as, as quickly as they can. What that looks like for Jerry, and I don't know yet. You just you put a lot of faith over the years. You put a lot of faith in the players that they're they're going to work right. extremely hard to get back, and um, also understanding that we're never going to put a player in a position where they're taking the field and put themselves at risk. Sometimes we have to hold players back. So, Jackson, I've got two questions for you on that that audio. The first one, why don't you just tell us a little bit about working with Al Couture? Do you agree with uh, O'Shea's assessment, best in the league? Yes, he is the best in the league. He he cares. He takes care of us. He makes sure he can do whatever he can within his power to keep us on the field and keep us healthy. And then the second question, have the coaches had to hold you back? 
from getting back on the lineup too soon? Uh, most definitely. I'm always trying to push it and get back. So uh, there's a lot of times where they have to be like, hey, just take your time. Long season. We will get you back, but we want you to be 100% healthy because we don't want you back injured. Well, and that's a not only a current day thing and and what's best for the team, putting you using a roster spot on on someone uh, that isn't 100% healthy can be a, a dangerous thing, but also long-term. Is that more of the consideration these days, Jackson, the idea that, you know, an injury in football, you don't want it to impact you for the rest of your life? For sure. I mean, they do think about our, our long-term health as well. I mean, but that, that, that is more on us as players having to think about what our long-term health, uh, the impact it could be. Um, so we make sure that we talk it over with Al, talk it over with the doctors, and if we do see the doctor, and make sure that we're making the best decision for, for the team and for ourselves. So we know that the, that Blue Bomber locker room is always discussed. It's always mentioned that there's a family atmosphere in the dressing room. Can you take us inside a little bit? over the last couple of weeks on one had you've had Adam Big Hill dealing with the passing of his father. And then on the other side of the coin, you have teammate Nick Dembski welcomes his first child into the world. How does the group manage all that? For sure. For sure. With Adam, you know, when, when a teammate's hurting and, and loses a loved one, we hurt as well with them. And so we're trying to be there with them as much as possible. Whenever they need being a, being a shoulder to cry on being, just being in their presence or just being somebody to kind of to vent to. Uh, I think that's important. I think it's important to have have brothers on like we do on the team that, that you can lean on and talk about things that normally I think men struggle to have conversations about how they feel. And so we're able to do that and talk about how we feel. And then we go out there and, and, and beat up on people together. Uh, and then with Dinsky, I mean, always when you're bringing in – bringing in a life and becoming a father, I think it's special. Uh, you can see just the, the big smile on his face whenever you bring up his daughter and talk about him having a child. He's super excited about it, and so are we. Now, when, you played da- when your dad played for the Dallas Cowboys, you're one of the kids running around the dressing room. Did the players here bring their kids into the room? Oh, definitely. That's there, There's a big similarity between – when when my dad played and how we were allowed to be around the facility and be around and how it is here in Winnipeg where there's tons of kids around and it's a it's a family atmosphere coach encourages us to bring family and bring people to practice and so they can watch and and be involved what about one of your do you have like any any standout memories of being in the dressing room when you were a kid hmm. Uh, one my dad talked about a lot, and I kind of remember it as well. Uh, he would always go send me over to players to talk smack for him. <laughs> so he'd be, like, "Oh, go tell, go tell so and so this," and so then I was basically playing telephone, going back and forth. <laughs> so you're like the uh, the original internet. You you know the, you were the direct messenger between your dad and some yeah. of his teammates. That that must be yes, pretty. <laughs> that must be pretty special. Now, how has that? Now, so you, you heard both sides of that. You, the, the action and the reaction. How's that impacted? Like you don't come across to me as a trash talker on the field, but maybe I'm wrong. Are you? 
I'm not a big trash talker. Only when somebody speaks to me. Uh, I'm, I'll be quiet most of the game. I'm not going to just be jawing at somebody. But once you start talking to me, you, you woke me up. Yeah, I always and found. I don't think they want to do that. I, I always found I, I never liked to talk trash. I've never been a big fan of trash talk, although I, I've sort of gained a bit more of an understanding over the years, uh, particularly from watching the uh, the Fab Five thirty for thirty from when the, they have five freshmen for the Michigan Wolverines and getting into the psychology of that. But I always found that yep. if people trash talked me. Uh, yeah, it, it was like it was like waking up some sort of a sleeping giant in whatever sport I was playing. So is that what what you feel like? Does it does it give you that extra gear to to fight back even harder? Yeah, it's like like if, if I was, I might have already been like on my A game, but you just set you just put me on another level if you're trash talking me because it's not going to get in my head. It's just going to make me lock in even more and get after you. Because I don't like to lose. I can even hear the energy. Feel the change of energy when we change the topic of discussion to trash talk and the whole idea. Have you got? Can you share with us an example where someone made the mistake of saying something to you and and you made them pay? Well, there's been several instances where people have uh, talked smack. I don't want to get into specifics, but talk smack about maybe a play that they thought they knew what was going on. And uh, the next play, I'm like, okay, sack, and just look at him. <laughs> Get a sack on him and just look at him. Look. Dang, that's, or, or I got it from Jamal Westerman. Tell him, oh, that's a minus. That's a minus. <laughs> Everybody has grade sheets. Everybody has yeah. grade sheets. So you already know that. So instead that's of the look, minus. you just walk past him and go, that's a minus. <laughs> Yep. I love it. Jackson, uh, do, you, do you sense, you know, looking ahead to, to Ottawa, do you sense things are coming together on both sides? Well, in all aspects of the game, Janarian's injury is obviously going to hurt, but uh, I think Greg McRae is something else, isn't he? Greg McRae is special. We're definitely going to be missing Janarian Grant. He's a, he's a hell of a player. I mean, you don't, you don't get guys like him too often. So we will, but it, it'll be exciting to see McRae get out there and play. I'm excited for the challenge in Ottawa. I mean, I think sad for Mazzoli. I hear nothing but good things about him, but I, I, I still think they have a good team out there and that they, they present a good challenge. Jackson Jeffcoat joining us live on 680 CJOB for Breakfast with the Bombers. Jackson, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this morning, sir. We appreciate it. Man, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Anytime a CFL superfan puts themselves out on display in front of the world, we want to celebrate that. The Canadian Football League, of course, such a special part of life in Winnipeg. And we've gone to the West Coast to catch up with a gentleman who just attended all nine CFL stadiums over 15 days. And I want to put a little bit of an asterisk beside this, Bobby Dubow, because you actually visited Winnipeg twice in your journey. Uh, yeah, that's where, that's where it originally all started. Um, I was supposed to start this record on the 22nd uh, and do nine stadiums in 17 days. Uh, and then right before the game in Winnipeg, I actually 
like Kelly Moore reached out to me and uh, did an interview. And ever since then, it's kind of snowballed, uh, really gained momentum. People are becoming more aware of it. So I figured, uh, well, the, when all the eyes, all the spotlights are on you, you, you step it up a notch. And I, I came back to Winnipeg and tightened up the record to 15 days. That's outstanding. So 9 and 17 wasn't going to be impressive enough. You just had to make it even better. So tell us a little bit about your love affair with the Canadian Football League. How did it start? Uh, well, I grew up a uh, BC Lions fan. Um, my family watched CFL. My, my grandma still watches uh, every game. So uh, kind of fell out, uh, like kind of drifted away from it, I guess. I think it was that maybe after Casey Printer, Dave Dickinson, those years. Um, but I was working uh, on the uh, on Vancouver Island, uh, had uh, the TV on, and uh, was working over the summer and the evening. So uh, CFL was on, and I figured, hey, let's uh, let's give this thing another shot. And uh, I don't think I've really missed a game since over the last uh, five five or six years. The BC Lions used to be the thorn in the side. <laughs> I'm going back now. Maybe this is before your day. I haven't qualified what generation you're from. I'll I will uh, I will be 55 next year. So I've been watching uh, the BC Lions play the the Winnipeg Blue Bombers since the old Empire Stadium days. I remember when they moved into Vancouver's BC place back in I believe it was 1983 and 60,000 fans and and Roy DeWalt and Mervyn Fernandez and and really some incredible almost borderline really if not for the Edmonton uh, juggernaut of of 79 to to 83 I suspect that the BC Lions might have had a couple more Grey Cups and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers might have as well uh, yeah, I came in probably right after that. I got a picture of me and Jay Christensen, uh, probably from 1991 when I was a when I was a little kid. So started watching in the 90s. Uh, Lions had a pretty good run then with uh, with a good uh, with a good sequence of quarterbacks. So um, yeah, I'm I, 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 just a fan of the league now more than anything. So uh, having the opportunity to visit the stadium uh, really kind of. Uh, I don't know, made me, made me like this league even more. I've got nothing bad to say about, about the last uh, last couple of weeks here. 1994, of course, the BC Lions win on home turf. Louis Pasagula wins the Grey Cup with a, a field goal against Baltimore. So that's a tremendous memory. I was in the stadium for, for that game. I've been to BC, not since the renovation, so I'm dying to get back to Vancouver and, and see the retractable roof and everything that's happened at BC Play Stadium. I've seen Commonwealth, been to McMahon several times, Mosaic, and I've also been to Tim Hortons, but I haven't seen a game at BMO Field in Toronto. I haven't seen a game in Ottawa, and nor have I seen one at McGill Stadium in Montreal. Derek Taylor and I were talking about McGill Molson Stadium there. It's a special spot, even if the even if the stadium itself needs a, a little bit of attention, Bobby. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like it's it's a great location, easy to walk up to. Uh, you got a great view, although the, like I'm more more concerned about the game. But uh, yeah, it, it's old. There's a few old stadiums, uh, but the fans are still still there. It's still super loud. And even uh, like I was there for I was there for about six hours uh, the other day waiting out a rain delay, and uh, it's kind of it's incredible to see the amount of fans that stuck it out until almost midnight um, on a on a family night of all things too. So. Uh, I don't have a bad thing to say about any stadium, of course, uh, but uh, yeah, that McGill Stadium could uh, 
maybe some backs on the seats or something. Uh, little, some 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 little uh, comfort in there would be a would be a little bit of an improvement. Did you actually see the Blue Bombers three times then? Uh, yes, yeah, I have a deal. But well, I had if you count the game I saw uh, in Vancouver before I started this trip, I've seen the Elks uh, play four games in a row. Ouch. <laughs> so, uh, Bombers games are a little easier to watch than than the Alex games, for sure. Yeah, that's dedication, all right. Okay, so let's make our way from uh, east to west. Talk about Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa was uh, Ottawa was really good. They The team actually reached out to me ahead of time, so uh, I was brought down onto the field. Antoine Pruneau was presenting me with the jersey. It should have been the other way around, but... Uh, it was uh, it was a great experience. The team really really um, rolled out the red carpet for me. So uh, I've been to a game there before. That's where I kind of got the idea last year. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great little stadium, and uh, maybe uh, one day I'll be able to be famous enough and have enough money to afford one of those apartments that's looking over the field. Yeah, that's pretty slick. Uh, I'm hopeful that at some point, once they redevelop the Southwood Golf Course here in Winnipeg, there's vacant land just north of the stadium that something like that might pop up. Uh, let's move now to Toronto, BMO Field. So this is the weird one because like, you hear all about how, how nobody goes to these games, and I'm assuming there's some sort of reason for it, and I still can't figure it out. Like, It's a great location. Uh, it's a, it was a great night um, with the breeze coming in off the lake, but still warm enough. Uh, great new stadium. It was super loud. For apparently there was only twelve thousand people, but it was super loud in there. And, and again, like the fans that are at these games are are the diehards. They're not. Uh, they're they're sticking it out the whole game, and and they ended up having a good show with. Uh, I think it's was it six interceptions that <laughs> VA through that night. So. Quite a uh, quite a contrast to the week before when he played a little better in Winnipeg. Oh yeah, that had to hurt uh, watching your your favorite team go down uh, the way they did in Toronto. Let's move down the QEW and how about Hamilton, Tim Hortons Field? Uh, it's not the biggest stadium on the planet, but it certainly has some charms and and some modern amenities. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. That one that one was fun. That was my. My kind of uh, that was the second to last game. That was the only weird part of my trip was going to a Hamilton game at at seven at night, and then get on a plane the very next morning to catch an afternoon game in BC. But uh, the Tie Cats uh, gave me a full like stadium tour. Like by this, this time, I was I was like a minor celebrity, so they kind of knew I was knew where I would be. And when I told them that uh, I might be wearing my Red Blacks jersey, they they made sure to give me uh, some Tie Cats merch too. So. Uh, they were uh, they were they were probably the most welcoming out of all the all the uh, teams, and uh, yeah, great atmosphere. Got a little couple Oski wee wees. You even got a clip of me on the TV doing it. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back there for sure. Yeah, right in the middle of the, that neighborhood in uh, in East Hamilton. There, it's just a neat spot and site, of course, of the Grey Cup in 2023. If if, if you're not there, I, I think that's a, a travesty. But we'll talk about that. Maybe I agree. Some, I agree. <laughs> somewhere down the road, we'll see if we can make that happen for you. Let's uh, skip Winnipeg and Saskatchewan and let's go to Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. You mentioned that you've seen the Elks uh, four times, or you saw the Elks four times on this trip. What about the home game and and that? massive open air stadium up in Edmonton. You know what I wish I wish we had it in Vancouver. Like the sure we got this little retractable roof, but it's uh you, you really don't really notice that the roof is open in Vancouver when it actually is. So 
Uh, I enjoyed Commonwealth. It was pretty much a replica of BC Place. Just uh, needs a little, maybe they could do some rentals on the bathrooms or something, but uh, great food options there. Again, like I don't get like these fans are these fans are dedicated. It's been what like five years since they won a game at home, and and they're still they're still putting up pretty good numbers given given that stat, right? So in terms of attendance, so I had a great time there. Made sure I had uh, some Argos fans and Elks fans as witnesses, just in case uh, one decided to leave early. I need them to stay with me the whole game. So I made sure I learned that lesson in Winnipeg when BC was blowing them out. Is that part of the Guinness Book of World Record thing? You have to be there for the entire game? Yeah, so I need witnesses to say that I was there at the beginning and the end. So um, whether whether your team's uh, winning or not, or it's pouring rain or not, you're uh, you're sticking it out with me, and it's all, all for a good cause, I guess. Calgary, McMahon Stadium. It's not as bad as, uh, as people say. Um, I, uh, the Riders fans made a huge difference, I guess, but... Uh, yeah, I had a good time there. They got some uh, churro donuts that were uh, that were pretty good. I'm, I'm lucky I only had two because I could probably crush a couple dozen of them. But uh, it was uh, it was probably the best game because it was the double overtime game uh, right before was dead ended on Myers interception. But uh, yeah, it's it, it was a great day. Uh, old stadium, but hey, sometimes old stadiums are uh, have some charm. Be nice if you can do a loop around it. I got roasted uh, trying to think that I could walk in a circle around that stadium and ran into the end of the horseshoe and went all the way back. Yeah, it is sort of ironic that their uh, stadium is set up that way in terms of the fans only being able to, being able to do the horseshoe. And then you run into the offices and the, and the dressing rooms. You would have thought that you could have got that special pass maybe to complete the full circle. So, yeah. All right. So yeah. we, 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 we've discussed the seven of the nine stadiums and I've, and I've, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a quiz here now, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about Winnipeg. And Regina, uh, coldest beer. Did you, did you drink beer at all? Uh, yeah, depending on whether I was doing interviews or not, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I tried to lay, lay off the beers, but, uh, uh, Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, um, the second game of Winnipeg, I was able to take advantage of those, those $5 pregame beers. So that was good. Um, Saskatchewan had the same kind of deal going on. So anytime you're not paying double digits for a, for a can of, uh, can of domestic, it's, uh, it's good. I don't know who was the coldest. Um, probably, probably Saskatchewan or Winnipeg. They were they were dishing them out pretty quick though. So, best hot dog. Are you a hot dog guy? Uh, yeah, I actually started with the yard dog, which I they claim it's thirty two, which isn't a yard. I think it's closer to to twenty seven, twenty eight inches. Okay, the pierogies were the pierogies were great on it, but it's definitely not a yard. <laughs> Uh, the best hot dog I th- I had was the green and gold dog in Edmonton. Uh, got mac and cheese and jalapenos, mm. and apparently I was one of the lucky ones that uh, got got it with mac and cheese that wasn't cold. So uh, make sure you like, ask them to refire it if uh, if if it's not up to your standards. Who has the nicest uniforms in the CFL? Uh, I really like those Fog uh, BC Lions uniforms. Uh, so I was trying to hoping the team would be able to kind of hooked me up with one but i don't want to be too greedy but yeah those fog uniforms are great i know the bombers those those classics uh blue and blue and gold they're always sharp but um 
I don't know. I I don't I know people love or, love or hate these fog jerseys, but I really do. Yeah, I really like them. Yeah, I like the color as well. I saw them obviously in person, and uh, yeah, BC. I'll say this reluctantly. I've always loved that BC Lions logo as much as I've hated the Lions over the years at different times. Uh, the logo and their helmets have always been spectacular in my mind. Uh, most comfortable seats? Uh, definitely not Montreal. Uh, Probably Winnipeg. Um, I had some pretty good seats in Saskatchewan, but I, I sat in two different sections in Winnipeg, and they were they were pretty nice as well. You're not too crammed in, um, but yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a couple stadiums nicer. The more modern ones have have are way more comfortable than these uh, old like McMahon's or or um, Percival Molson's. Best sound system. Um, I think. It's it's weird. Regina has a weird kind of acoustic. It sounds more of like a like a bigger stadium, but in terms of noise, it's definitely Winnipeg. Um, it's uh, you can bear like I know you say you have the loudest fans in 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 the league, but you also got that guy telling them to make some noise every couple of plays, which is kind of obnoxious. Okay, so uh, here we go. This is where <laughs> this is this is where the where the rubber meets the road. Here, I was reading an article where where you're sort of calling out uh, Rob McGregor and uh, the uh, propensity to to tell the fans to to make noise. I, I'm going to have to chart that because I'm not convinced that happens necessarily because the Blue Bomber fans have jumped all over the and that's another Winnipeg. First down. They do that in Kansas City. They they like mm-hmm. that that that's for years. That's for years now. It's gotten to the point. Uh, but you know, I'm going to chart this whole idea. So who does have the loudest fans? You're about to say Saskatchewan, aren't you? Uh, I think it's either Winnipeg or Saskatchewan. And just to clarify, to make some noise, it's not the PA. I don't mind don't mind a live PA announcer saying that. But this is like in terms of pressing the button. Oh, of that the, oh I think I know the one you mean. Like, make some noise. I know yeah, the one you're so, talking about. Okay. So all the right. Lion, the Lions used to have that as well before Mardoman came in. And they were taking all kinds of feedback. And, and maybe it was like I told the ticket rep, like, hey, maybe you can stop pressing and make some noise 40 times every game. And I think they're down to about five or six now. Bobby DeBoe, thank you for this. We really appreciate you immensely, and congratulations. When will you know or when will you get your official acknowledgement from Guinness Book that this is a Guinness Book world world record? Uh, I think i got to start submitting all this evidence, all these witness statements, all this video evidence. Um, I don't anticipate them to be very uh, quick on the on the ball here, so uh, I don't know, I've, maybe a month. <laughs> Maybe a month and a half. That's what I'm assuming. All right. Shoot me, a, back. shoot me a text. We'd love to have you back on the show. Okay. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm Skyler Peters. Welcome into the film room. The narrative of the story between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Calgary Stampeders has really gone only one way over the past decade. Though at a certain point, the players kind of switched places. It was the Bombers struggling to find consistency in the mid-2010s, seemingly grasping onto it for a season or two, only to lose it again. Meanwhile, the Stamps were the standard in the West Division for most of those years, not always summiting the mountaintop, but always a threat, especially with Bo Levi Mitchell at the helm. Now he's in Hamilton, but perhaps we could trace the beginning of the end for number 19 in red, and the uprising of number eight in blue, Zach Caleros, to a single game. In fact, maybe even a single drive, when neither of them were on the field. 
Welcome in to snow-dusted McMahon Stadium, the 2019 West semifinal. The Bombers down 14-8 on the Calgary 33. Now he's going to give it to Dembski, and he's across the 30, the 25, the 20, 10. Touchdown, Blue Bombers. Nick Dembski on a run up the middle. It's a role we'd see the Winnipeg native fill in on from time to time, getting the ball in his hands quickly. And on this play, thanks to some great blocking and a great sell by Chris Strebler, it was right down Main Street to the house. You know, I, I made a cut and the rest was history. I put my head back around as fast as I could. That's really what happened. The Bombers would take the lead on a point after by Justin Medlock and then never look back, holding that lead until the final whistle. But to fully appreciate this game-changing play, perhaps we need to look at a couple of big plays on the ground earlier in the drive. It started with another Oak Park legend. And off Harris, left side, Andrew Harris across the 45 to the 50. Center field to the Calgary 54-yard line. Andrew Harris getting the drive started with a signature run, bouncing into the B-gap and heading into the midfield on a 14-yard dash. And then Strebler calling his own number. Ball on the left hash, Strebler in the gun. And he'll fake to Harris and roll right. He's to the 35, Strebler to the 33-yard line. With temperatures down to minus 14 at kickoff, you could have guessed Winnipeg was going to put a focus on the ground game. But Mike O'Shea's game plan never seemed to really take shape until they first got the ball in the third quarter. So down six at half against a good Calgary football team isn't something that they're, you know, in their changing things and figuring, trying to figure things out. They're just going to go out and execute a little harder, a little better, and, and, and play hard like they were and and um, let the game unfold. Harrison Strebler set the table on that drive before Dembski delivered the main course. It was the quarterback who was getting all the praise from the touchdown scorer post-game for that beautiful sell. I asked him, like, are you trying to take the ball from me at that, at that point? That wasn't a call, but no, he was just saying, you know, he saw people off the end of the line and, and he was just trying to, you know, hold it so uh, he could get the ends uh, occupied. So it was a great play by him, too. We've heaped praise on Chris Strebler before in the film room, and I am not afraid to do it again. I mean, I took a sick day this week because I was feeling nauseous. Strevy showed up to Calgary on basically one and a half legs that day and still helped dominate the stamps when his number was called. We are not the same. It's a long season and, and everybody's hurting. So, but, but Strev is uh, something else. Going in, you never really know. And I'm just thankful for the opportunities. And I'm just thankful for those guys up front blocking so hard. And The Bombers offense would find their groove after this drive, putting up 20 more unanswered points. And perhaps lost in the limelight was a defensive unit that locked down Mitchell from that point onward after allowing some big plays to Bo Levi and Reggie Begleton earlier on. We are all talking as a team yesterday, and, you know, we said, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, we, we got we to gotta control 19, and if we can do that, then, then offense is going to come out here and put up some points. So, you know, defense to their side of the job, offense to their side of the job. Those guys played outstanding and kept getting us the ball back and giving us short fields and you know, it makes life a lot easier as an offense when they're doing that. As it all shakes out, November 10th, 2019 may very well have been the day the torch was passed from the Stamps to the Bombers as the West Division's perennial favorite, led by a wily veteran quarterback. Mitchell and the Stamps would never make it past the West semifinal game together again until the divorce ended in an eye-watering moment last year as he took the field in garbage time against BC to get the send-off he very well deserved from the CFL faithful and it wouldn't be Winnipeg's final visit to McMahon Stadium in 2019 either, as the Grey Cup drought ended on that very field two Sundays later. It didn't all come in one drive last Saturday in Montreal, but the Bombers' 185 yards on the ground and a very nice 6.9 yards per attempt were both season highs for a squad that prides itself on a prolific passing attack. Now we await to see 
If these two familiar foes will assume their traditional roles once again on the grass at IG Field tonight, or if Dave Dickinson and the Stamps have anything to say about it. Derek, Mike O'Shea on Friday night moved into a tie with Cal Murphy for franchise coaching victories with 86. There's no question he will move ahead of Cal Murphy this season. The only question is how far ahead and how close does he get to Bud Grant's 102? Time will tell on that front. Mike O'Shea doesn't seem to be a guy that gets worked up about accomplishments like that, or am I wrong? Oh, you're absolutely right. Certainly not his own accomplishments. He'll celebrate his his players' accomplishments. I I suspect though he'll throw in a little thing about and that's those are just numbers and it's all about winning and stuff. Uh, but he will not, you know, it, when he does when he does get to uh, Bud Grant, it just won't no won't matter to him <laughs> at all. Unfortunately, but when you think about you know 2014, he comes in the Bombers aren't very good. 2016. Before they they flipped from Drew Willie to Matt Nichols, like there were calls for O'Shea to be fired, and the whole staff to be fired. And now imagine that. I mean, seven years later, just one to say seven years after everybody thought you should be fired, and two, how ludicrous it is now that uh, what what the Bombers would have given up had they had they gone for that. Um, it's it's super impressive, and yeah, like it'll be what sometime next season, based on how they're going so far. How they're going this year based on next season and the personnel they bring back that they'll be the all-time winningest coach in bomber history yikes that's that's super impressive but yeah. do not expect him to celebrate it or have a hat indicating that that is the case you mentioned that crossroads that this franchise was at with mike o'Shea and the whole drew willie and uh, matt nichols scenario going to that game in edmonton i remember it well and Mike O'Shea, we talk about the Winnipeg Jets sometimes as being loyal to their players and to their to their staff to a fault. There were some that were suggesting that Mike O'Shea's loyalty to Drew Willie was was bordering on loyal loyalty to a fault, if I remember correctly. I it, it wouldn't surprise me because he is I mean, loyal is is a big deal to him. And I remember it would have been whatever, what was it, week five or week six in the CFL that year? Because I remember writing a, a piece, a detailed segment at TSN because I didn't understand why are you abandoning Drew Willie for, for Matt Nichols? Look at all the things. Here's all the things that Matt Nichols does well, and Drew Willie does them better. But uh, they, they, I guess they'd seen by that point, what I kind of caught in, in retrospect was they'd seen by that point where Willie was just never comfortable in the pocket. So we have this. Uh, we have this other guy who we think is good, and if he can be any bit of that, we've got to change up how we attack a little bit. But if he's comfortable in the pocket, we've got to have somebody who's comfortable in the pocket and can actually execute what we want to do. And and yeah, it. Uh, I mean, Matt Nichols wore the ironic game manager hat, which was never really ironic, which is the funny part of that. But he he was absolutely. I mean, he, he was a big part of of riding the ship. He didn't, I don't know if he turned it around and well, yeah, I guess he kind of turned it and headed it toward the, the correct port. And then Zach Kalars came in and then took it over the, uh, you know, took it home. But uh, I mean, that, that decision, I, I don't know if everybody makes that. And yeah, I mean, and it, it worked out. It was the right move at the right time. And, and yeah, I can't believe it, it was weird to say it aloud, but yes, yeah, seven years later, 
uh, O'Shea and this team continue to prosper based on, you know, these decisions you make, you know, just for one one single week. We got to we got to try something. Here we go. Oh, we're on a rocket ride to the moon now. And I think the Blue Bombers had not won in Edmonton previously since the Milt Stiegel miracle 100-yard touchdown back in 2006. It was it was a decade between victories in Edmonton, and that really did sort of, as you mentioned, aim the ship in the in the proper direction. Because anytime I don't know about when you're on the air, but anytime I'm on the air and start extolling the virtues of Mike O'Shea and the difference that he's made long term here, it all comes back to Zach Caleros in the minds of so many fans. But that that's maybe a debate that we can have at another time. Yeah, I mean Zach Zach's obviously the the best player in the league for for most folks. But yeah, there's there was so much along the way. I mean when they're able to convince Willie Jefferson to come to town, uh, being able to re-sign Jackson Jeff Coley's times. So oh, Adam Big Hill's coming back from the uh, NFL. Uh, let's bring him to Winnipeg. Boop, boop, boop. Like just all these players. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of teams were probably in pursuit of Stanley Bryant when Calgary let him go. Uh, yeah, there were, there's a lot of moments and, and people talk about culture and stuff. Culture, culture is great, uh, but you have to win some football, football games and then you get a chance to, build it long term and then it can layer on top of itself as as they are now where the players can kind of O'Shea will say that essentially the players you know are, are the culture of this team and they'll they'll communicate the importance of it with each other and on and on but uh, you got to win football games first and then and then you could be a winning football team one of the key cogs in the Winnipeg Blue Bomber 29 season in between Grey Cups was offensive coordinator Paul Lapolis, who of course left to become the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. We know that Lapo is no longer the head coach, replaced by an, a Winnipegger born and raised in Bobby Dice. What does Ottawa show and, and what does Ottawa have to offer the Winnipeg Blue Bombers coming up this weekend with Jeremiah Mazzoli once again being hurt? And is there a chance here yeah. that, that this is the end of the line for Mazzoli, Derek? Well, let's do the Masoli part first. There's absolutely a chance it is, right? If he was 28, uh, coming off of two major, major injuries, okay, you know, Clay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors had had this sequence, right? ACL and Achilles, and, and he's back. And he's not the same player he used to be, but which would be a ton to expect. But he's back. Masoli's in his 30s, right? I would, I'm, I'm going to guess 34. I haven't uh, pulled it up here, but I'm going to guess 34. That's that's a big ask. After a year of rehabbing, you're ready to go. Uh, they held me out a couple extra weeks, but I'm ready to go. Okay, let's go back and rehab again and try to keep a, a positive spin on everything. So that's that one's so sad, and that was that was the move. I mean, just him coming back in the lineup was the thing for me. That was going to give Ottawa its best chance. Second of the East is wide open, and Ottawa, to me, had a real good chance to grab it if Masoli was healthy. Now uh, we move on to, okay, well, Masoli's not here. What do we have for the Bombers on Saturday? Let's go with Dustin Crum, who showed some life in the game this past week against Hamilton when he came in. Uh, just zero idea what, what he's all about. There's, there's a guy I trust uh, who says, hey, you know, he was a good college quarterback for this, that, this, that, and this. I'm like, okay, all right, 
so he's not me playing quarterback. So that's a real step up for the Red Blacks there from me to uh, not saying much, DT. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's that's at least something. But we've seen reports that they're going to they've inquired about McLeod Bethel Thompson and Farhan Lalji saying they'll bring a couple quarterbacks in including a guy the Bombers released earlier in the season in Tyrell Pigram, just because they'll need another body in that, in that quarterback room. But, it, I mean, if they can, if they can convince that McLeod Bethel-Thompson can get out of his contract or his contract in the USFL, like Dakota Prukops, allows him to come back, uh, that's, that's a step. And it's, and it's good to know from a fan perspective, I'm encouraged to know that, that the Ottawa Red Blacks are pursuing that. Because, again, a playoff spot and a home playoff game is within reach in that East Division. Hamilton, not very good, though they won a game. Montreal, not very good, though they're you know 500. So, if you can if you can wrestle that team, that Red Blacks team, to nine wins, to maybe even eight and ten, that might be enough to to get a home playoff date. So, uh, it's it's awful that you've lost your starter and your star and your you know your talisman, but it ain't over if if you can make the uh, the right move. So. Yeah, I really hope that Ottawa, you know, can go out and, and find one of these guys that they that they believe can carry them because they're they're a team that can. I mean, second of the East, it's it isn't a high bar, but it is a home playoff game. By the way, Jeremiah Mazzoli will turn thirty five years of age on August twenty fourth. Uh, okay, yeah, so he's going to come back. I remember after uh, uh, Saskatchewan had that day in what was it 21 where four guys tore their achilles the day before a couple days before training camp i just started cataloging went back and looked for every achilles injury i could find in the canadian football league and for some guys they never played again uh freddie bishop was uh one of the guys who who did his achilles it was sass that they never played again in the cfl we might have played in america after that i had to double check but generally 360 days to return from your Achilles injury, providing there are no setbacks. So it'll be July of 2024 where Masoli could reasonably expect to be back when he'll be on the verge of turning 36, coming off an Achilles and an ACL. It's going to be, uh, yeah, I, I hope we haven't seen the last of it. I don't wish that on anybody, but it's, that's, that's a hard road. That is a hard road. Hey, Bomber fans, I'm Marissa Turton. Did you know Calgary hasn't won in Winnipeg since 2017? In the last four seasons, the Stampeders are winless at IG Field, but in those past six games, there have been some close calls, though, with four of those matchups decided by only two points in favor of the Bombers. Overall, since the 2018 season, there's been a 22-point score differential. Winnipeg has put up 159 points at home against the Stamps, 137 here. Also, today, Mike O'Shea could tie for second in wins as a Blue Bombers head coach. Right now, with his 85 wins with the club, he sits behind only Cal Murphy's 86 and Bud Grant's 102. Blue Bomber podcast, Marissa Turton, the of Did You Know? One of my favorite features on the pregame show, Marissa. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me, Greg. So it's almost as though you anticipated Greg McRae being a big part of the Blue Bomber offense and point production last Friday night. Well, I had that. I really wanted to do a fact on Greg McRae 
obviously he had a couple of touches last year and I really liked watching him in practice and I really liked the touches that he did get last year obviously had that one touchdown last year he wasn't getting a lot of opportunities but every time he got the ball I was cheering him on and I you know I kind of was anticipating him to have a great game because of how he stepped in when he was replacing Nick Dembski and I did pick him in my fantasy when he was rushing for that touchdown he almost brought it back the second one I was sitting there screaming screaming I was just happy for the run too but then I'm like oh my gosh another touchdown please please he was good for 16 points I had McCray as well because I was uh very impressed with the way he played in Montreal and just I'm anticipating some bigger things for Greg McCray so we'll see how things sort out with regard to Janarian Grant's injury does Kenny Lawler come back and and how does Greg McCray stay in the lineup or how does he stay where he is because uh, Derek Taylor and I just had the conversation it's tough to play full-time and then also be the returner that was something that happened once upon a time but certainly doesn't happen i have a trivia question for you though Ooh, okay which other which other winnipeg blue bomber also attended current blue bomber roster player you i would argue one of the team stars i'm giving way too many hints here also attended university of central florida ba ba Brandon Alexander. Brandon Alexander. <laughs> you are correct. As we uh, mentioned, and Christian told us, Janarian Grant was getting work on the sidelines. He is not the returner deep in the end zone for this Paredes attempt. It is up, and it is short to the right. Going to dance around. That is McRae. Can he get the corner? He's going to try it. 5, 10, 15, 20. McRae, 25. Nobody hold anybody. 35, 40, 45. Cut back to the near side. Oh, my goodness. 50. 40 blockers in front. Stop and dance around a man, and he's brought down at the 13-yard line. No flags on the field. Thank goodness. What a huge return play on the missed field goal attempt. Greg McRae has the big touchdown catch, an enormous return, and the offense is in the red zone already. I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski. The five and a touchdown. Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got in the 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. Derek Taylor, CFL Fantasy uh, Wizard. How are you doing in our 680 CJOB League? Have you made uh, yet another leap forward in the standings? Can you is one able to leap backward? Is that a, is, can you leap backward or do you just fall backward? I'm now 209th. I've fallen more than 100 spots this week because I did not have a. Uh, I had uh, Jamal Morrow as my captain, and I had Jeremiah Masoli. And the Ottawa offense prominent in my team. So the minus one point from Masoli did not do me well. Uh, so I uh, I was 525th this week, 209th overall. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, Doug Brown crushed it this week. Crushed it. He was 40th in our league of 800 plus with 100 points. And, and Doug is, is killing it. He's far ahead of me in the season standings. But this is my problem. I can't tell who he has on his team because you can't click on currently and find out who he picked. 
I wanted to know. I went, who did Doug have? Why did he? Why was he able to be so much better than me this week? Who did he take? What's the deal with that? And I can't find out. So I'm kind hmm. of, I'm kind of still mad about that. I want to know who. You know, once it's revealed, once the rosters in the first game goes, it, it starts revealing rosters. I want to know who's on their team, but I can't find out yet. Gmac. Well, it's only you know in poker. Uh, only the winning hand must be shown. So maybe you have a case there for for Brown to come clean on who he's on who he's drafting. And you know who's not only number one in our league, but number one in the entire CFL fantasy. I do. Please tell us. Tom Halleck, who is the voice, he is the announcer, the PA announcer at many things University of Manitoba, and he's the press box announcer at Winnipeg Blue Bomber Games, and like, and he's in first place by like a considerable amount, like six or seven percent. Incredible, right? T Bone's choice cuts is crushing it. Yeah, Tom is Tom is such a good dude, and he is absolutely walloping the field. Um, where is, did I take the picture of the top page? Yeah, he is uh, eight points up in our league on Randy Kruchak. Um, yeah, D-Bone, getting there done. It's good. It's good. It's good to say, I, hey, I, I know, I know the leader because maybe I can hit him up for some tips because, ugh, Masoli was not the one. Masoli and Tuggle and Acklin were not the ones to stack this past week. Yikes. Yeah, well, I'm still uh, down at uh, 587th place. Uh, still too much Picking with the heart versus the brain, DT. I got to get over that. Well, I, I feel like this is this going to be a week of taking the Bombers? Yes, it is. I mean, if the Bombers' defense isn't too expensive, uh, this is going to be a week to take some Blue Bombers in my mind because Ottawa is struggling with injuries on both sides of the football and two bad teams, the Ticats and the Elks, play each other. So this feels like a, a week of Argos and Bombers and – to whatever extent you want to do Stampeders Rough Riders, because those teams played a 55 point game and, a, you know, in some overtime last time they played. Uh, I, I love to pick on the weak teams. And yeah, I'm going to make it. Uh, oof. Can I have Greg McRae in my lineup? Mm. I had him last week, 16 points. Yes. One of my better picks. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I did. Hey, I pumped him up on the podcast uh, three days uh, before setting my lineup, so I was forced. Uh, I felt my hand was was forced to to pick him. Uh, put your money where your mouth is, and uh, if I could pick Jackson Jeffcoat and get uh, points for uh, Jackson, I, I would do that as well. DT, thanks for this. Can people still jump in on the league? They absolutely can. Gamezone.cfl.ca. I think last I checked, 828 people are there. Come on in and see if you can't chase down our buddy Tom Halleck, who uh, leads the nation in CFL fantasy. Biggest league on the entire website, correct, DT? Someone someone said that when we were at about 500. So uh, it, it's not, inc- not great searchable currently, so I can't tell uh. for sure, but... We're su- super happy with more than 800 folks competing and uh, and smack-talking us because I deserve to be smack-talked for this past week. DT, we will catch up with you next week. Looking forward to the call, the pregame coverage, all the daily reports uh, on 680 CJOB. Uh, have a good and safe trip to Ottawa. And do me a favor, don't go to Burger King. Find something a little bit more Ottawa unique for your, for your next cheeseburger, <laughs> please. Doug Brown said, oh, uh, I remembered a, a barbecue spot in Ottawa. Doug Brown said, oh, I like barbecue. Let's do that. So uh, 
I'll have better to report than the uh, jalapeno spicy melt for next time. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it, and listen to it at your leisure. You can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us. 